0: Welcome back to the Wine Tech Insiders podcast, episode 15. These are the books that we love. A little bit of summer content for everybody while the wine tech world is on vacation or uh, getting ready for September. And then, of course, the wine world getting ready for uh, the Christmas season. Um, We have, again, as always, our wine insiders, Jonathan from Bottle Books. Hello. Hello. (laughs) Laurie from Outshinery. Hi, everyone. Nick from Wine Owners. And of course, Seb from Trolley.
1: Good morning, boys and girls.
0: Um, Laurie, why don't we start off? It's summer. Um, I think you have a great suggestion, um, a a great book to start with.
2: Yeah, so it's a book called Blush uh, by Jimmy Brenner. And full disclosure, I'm just halfway through right now. Like, it was uh, released in June this year, and I just got it. I'm listening to it done audible. And it's really fun because it's about three generations of women um, who, like, host a book club in the winery um, that their family own. And it's just mixing both, um, like, you know, women empowerment and entrepreneurship in a more, like, macho masculine you know like winery environment um and it's mixing for it's really um not for wine people like it's a it's a summary like it, it doesn't go like it's not high or anything like that but to me coming from the wine industry it's just this right angle of the romanticism of what is a winery you know there's a lot of description like sunset on the vineyard like the fog rolling in and she's like oh that's really so much the appeal even when i read the reviews about this book like how like a lot of women are talking about that on good reads and the reviews. Like, oh, I love being transported to the vineyard; it feels magical. So, which is very interesting. But also, um, they you get a bit of a vision of like the back end and how it is hard to uh, make the numbers work. Running a winery is very expensive; it's very difficult. So, you kind of get a bit of both ways. Obviously, it's, like I guess, a summary; it's highly simplified. But you know what? It's really quite fun to listen when taking a walk by a seawall. <laughs>
0: And uh, uh, Seb, how about you? What, what, what
1: about me? What about what wine? You,
0: wine? Yeah, do you have any wine books that you, you love? Uh,
1: no, look, I've actually um, I, I, I do read about one book every month and it's normally more of a business book. Um, I do listen to a number of different YouTube channels, <clears throat> for example around wine. And uh, what I'm fascinated with, for instance, uh, the, um, the way of explaining the way of discovering wine uh, for you know, the common mortals, for everyone else that's not directly in the wine industry. Um, it's uh, To me, it's a, I'm far more interested, I kind of understand how to make wine and I don't really read a lot of, of, uh, of fiction. Um, but on the on the YouTube channels, for instance, that I find absolutely fascinating to see how different channels try and promote different things differently. They all have a specific, <clears throat> excuse me, customer segment uh, that they're targeting, uh, and I've discovered one very recently actually with a South African uh, master of wine, uh, and. Um, they, they basically look at wine, it's two, two master sommeliers and one guy who's kind of a learning and they do topics about, okay, how good is cheap wines? And then how expensive can a wine really be? Uh, and can we mix wines? Uh, and I just find that uh, absolutely, absolutely uh, fascinating. Uh, so I don't really have a wine book, right? Specifically speaking, uh, but I do have uh, wine channels that I listen to. Uh, and podcasts, right? So there's a few podcasts ultimately uh, that are worth uh, worth listening
0: to. Sorry, Jonathan. What about you? Um,
3: so uh, like said, I'm not um, I'm not reading tons of uh, tons of book uh, books. Um, more watching things. But one book about wine that kind of grabbed my attention. Um, uh, was from way back when Bottle Books was just starting. Um, I was visiting my uncle in Healdsburg, um, California, um, and he um, uh, uh, took me to meet uh, Bill Williamson, who was a Sonoma winemaker there. He uh, is originally from Australia, um, uh, worked his way up through consulting, and then I believe was um, maybe head of sales at SAP during the Y2K then he cashed out, moved to Sonoma, and set up a winery. Um, and what was, I think, really interesting to see about the book was um, just sort of seemed he was very cognizant of when he went into winemaking, he knew that he had to build a brand, and he had to build a story. And so quite early on, um, he partnered with an author and wrote a book that sort of built his epic uh, story. Um, and... Um, and it's short, it's an easy read, but it does really give you a sense of his personality and his style of wine. Um, and it helps you kind of bond with him, even if you haven't really met him. Um, and um, it, it, uh, it takes, and he takes it, it what connect, helped me connect a little bit with more was also just um, how pervasive this story was through his organization. So at that time, he was one of the only uh, tasting rooms in Sonoma, um, or in Healdsburg, where you had uh, free tastings—you paid nothing to taste any of his wines—and it wasn't even just that you it was free tastings. He would also do pairings with it, um, and um, and the people who were in his in his um, running his tasting room all knew the stories. And so you walk in there, and you could just see his brand. You know, it was just a complete, really impressively implemented brand strategy that went from book through to the tasting room his salespeople and um it just helps i think people really connect and connect with them and that it was and doing what we do at bottle books helping people tell their stories um and get their wine information out there it was it was something that um that i just i, I found really interesting and um and uh, uh yeah I, I i still try and go back and, and visit the tasting room when i'm whenever i have the chance to be back in california so
0: Nick, what about you? Do you have a, a, something to recommend for... for?
4: This one's been around for a while. Um, I think it was published back in the very early noughties. And it's called Wine and War, the French, the Nazis, and the Battle for France's Greatest Treasure. Um, and, it's, um, and it's super exciting. Um, and it kind of... Grips you, really. Um, and um, just sort of reading from the uh, back cover. Um, in 1940, France fell to the Nazis and almost immediately the German army began a campaign of pillaging one of the assets the French hold most dear, their wine. Like others in the French resistance, winemakers mobilised to oppose their occupiers uh, and, and so on and, um, uh, and you know, um, put themselves in um, quite challenging and difficult positions in order to hide and um, keep their precious harvests away from um, their their occupiers. And and it's a great read, so um, highly recommended from a sort of gripping, quite dramatic historical um, novel or historical um, perspective.
0: Is that is that a a key thing um, that that wine, you know,
4: needs a great story? Yeah, (laughs) I think it does. I think it does. I think it does. I think isn't there a wine merchant in California called First the Wine, Then the Story? And I think that's an absolutely brilliant name. But I think wine comes to life with stories. I think um, for people who visit wine regions and visit producers, wines, Almost always taste better after you've met the producer. Um, so yeah, I think stories are absolutely intrinsic to wine and are becoming increasingly important as we move into a, an e-commerce world. So should 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 um, uh, Jonathan should should
0: should winemakers be be writing books or or what should they should they be blogging or? Well, I think I think this is ten or fifteen years on from when uh,
3: Bill Williamson wrote his book, but um, uh, I think I think it is definitely about living and, and breathing your brand, and that's how people remember you and associate with the wine. I mean, wine is is partly the wine and partly the experience that you associated or that you you had with that that wine. So, um, creating those experiences. Um, yeah it makes you remember those wines more than even the good wines but you just didn't have an experience associated with it
0: and and what about doing fiction laurie i mean you know what about just making up stories and and having your wine be part of the, the story
2: i think it could be kind of interesting honestly like it's um it's just like making it like accessible and i think it's all about offering different um in, I know we were just mentioning the war and everything earlier with Nick. So maybe angle of attack is maybe a bit too strong of a word, but I think there's different approaches to wine. And again, that's why I think we all love this product so much. Like wine is a delicious, uh, you know, liquid to enjoy, but wine is also, um, you know, a social moment with friends and family. Wine, it exists, like wine is a moment in time, like memories. Wine is uh, a place, you know, like the like the terroir and like the, like the winery itself. So I think, just if wineries can find different um, ways to approach and to be to have the product relatable, um, I think it's just very interesting, um, and I see a lot of potential. I think the world of fiction. Uh, I'm I'm a bit like uh, all of our panelists here. I typically read nonfiction, but there is something about like the escape of fiction that mm-hmm. is particularly enjoyable. That's usually like again like a summer summer things for me. Um, it's um, yeah, it's very, just delightful, uh,
0: yeah. And then, so and then <laughs> what about for those who who don't read books, like Seb, who um, just listen to podcasts and videos? <laughs> how, oh. how, Seb, how, like, how do we get those stories, how do you get those stories, you know, out in different you know, ways?
1: Like it's, it's uh, what I, I don't really tend to, <clears throat> well, what I'm really interested in, what I'm really fascinated with is, like what Nick said around the story being increasingly important, I, I wholeheartedly agree, but I also massively disagree in the way that the story is becoming more important. The story has always been important, and the question is how do we communicate that story? Um, and and we, we all, we're all trying to reach consumers. We're all trying to push a product that is slightly oversupplied that is crazy fragmented there is not a few hundred stories of winemaking around the world there's probably a few hundreds of thousands of wine stories Um, and so look from a from a youtube perspective there's different ways of talking there's a winery that i follow on youtube for instance and they do uh, like daily vlogs or every couple of days they do a vlog as to what's happening at the winery and again, to most people in the industry, this is nothing new, but to the consumer who's never visited a winery, the new up-and-coming Gen Z consumer, it is actually quite fascinating. Uh, there's, a, there's another group in, uh, in the east coast, northeast coast of the US, who's doing uh, wine in a can, for instance, and they're, doing, they're looking at keto-friendly wines and trying to t- figure out a way of marketing a new kind of a product. Uh, and that, to me, is just fascinating. Uh, if you have a look on on YouTube, uh, the guy I, I mentioned earlier on, Wine King, uh, it, it's it's. look, I don't really listen to those videos on an ongoing and regular basis, but I just find that they've got some ways of presenting that story that's a bit less romantic, fla-fla, ha-ha, that everything. we've all seen The Hills before, and it's nice and cute, but unless we're going with friends, it's not the same thing. Uh, and so these guys are looking at wine from a different angle, from a consumer angle. And they look, they're they're master of wines, right? They know what they're talking about. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: So so now switching over to the the tech side of our podcast, um, I I think what's uh, amazing is that um, very recently. Um, businesses kind of changed. And what's happened is the internet came along, the iPhone came along, and it created these digital businesses. And these digital businesses are still businesses, but they have a different language and they have different ways of running them. And they've created this kind of startup culture. And now you get books, you get blog posts, you get Information that's coming at us um, that's quite uh, recent and quite relevant, um, and some of those ideas stick, and some of those ideas fade away, um, and some are just you know not really based on anything. Um, and, and so, I, I think it'd be very interesting to to, to hear what you guys uh, what you guys uh, what books have inspired you from the business tech side.
4: So I love this book called The Tiger That Isn't Seeing Through a World of Numbers. And the premise is that, um, you know, people posit numbers as being significant, uh, huge, and get people to think about something in a particular way or to do things um, off the back of a number that's basically bamboozled them. Um, But in context of how that number is is presented. It might not actually be a particularly large number. So the example I gave was um, for our software as a service platforms um, that basically process pricing data every week as part of the sort of um, curated data set that then um, businesses can leverage um, for their benefit. We process about 100 million price points a year uh in partnership with with uh, wine searcher and and um that represents probably around i don't know 390,000 400,000 wine vintages sounds like a big number right 100 million i mean it sounds like a really big number but actually when you break it down and you think about number of the number of um, wine offers that are put up for sale every day, and you look at that over the course of a whole year, it's a real drop in the ocean. So, so that's why, um, that's why I was excited uh, when I first read that book, which I read at business school, and um, and it does definitely inform how I evaluate things and determine what decisions to make, where to invest and where to question, I suppose, as well. And what um, what, what role do those, I mean, obviously profit and loss
0: is a big part of every business, but, but what role do these, these, uh, you know, these other numbers you're talking about play in this uh, in this modern startup world?
4: Well, I think, you know, <sighs> In many, many ways, I mean, just evaluating the size of your market. You know, the size. You know, we're in quite a small market. Whereas, if you look at, for example, I don't know, Microsoft Dynamics, a kind of a core platform for um, pretty much any sort of business uh, on earth that you can imagine. You know, their addressable market runs into um, hundreds of millions of businesses, um, or at least probably a hundred million businesses. Um, Whereas, you know, our addressable market is probably in the region of about 20,000 wine merchants worldwide. Um, You know, so that's probably half the total population, but sort of then kind of breaking it down into that part of the market that's addressable because it's a business that wants to grow. It's a business that's got some ambition. And yet, if you then context that with how frequently those businesses are on a reinvestment cycle, and you look in context of how many businesses are serving a difficult, awkward, different market, which are not that many when push comes to shove, not not specialists, then all of a sudden that looks like a very significant market, even though the number on the face of it looks very small compared to some other numbers that... Um, people might sort of throw it. In.
1: From a uh, from a business standpoint, look, a couple of books um, that I have read, uh, I think three or four times. Uh, one of them is uh, "The Hard Things About Hard Things," uh, and one of them is um, "High Performance uh, High Performing Organizations." And uh, they are not absolutely not wine driven. They are full on large sort of a business building kind of a books Uh, but the first one the hard things about hard things uh, is is really interesting because we're basically looking at any kind of a business anything you're trying to build anything you're trying to get off the ground anything you're trying to change or challenge or there's always going to be so many things getting in the way um and these that book really explores the topic left and right and and what what founders go through what's the team going through um so to me the hard things about hard things anyone trying to build getting something off the ground is an absolute good read um and high performance oh look it's it's, it's, amazing
2: and just a part of like making decision right like it's just and then the hard ones and just like sticking to it and just like yeah it's you make me want actually to reread it like i think i read it only once but it's on the 100%. kindle right here yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And, hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and look the, the uh, i think it was written by um the uh, ben horowitz right the a16z guy who's actually worked with uh, a number of different founders uh, and you'd kind of look at his profile as being a bit of a like a traditional VC <laughs> pumping money to grow artificially kind of a thing, uh, and and the book doesn't read that way at all. The book is really um, is really sort of a you know understanding grit, understanding challenges, understanding that there's always going to be something getting in your way, uh, and high performance uh, organizations is Andy Grove. Andy Grove was the Intel guy. The guy who basically, he worked, I think most of his life at Intel, but he's behind the Intel, uh, Intel Inside campaign in the 90s, for those of you who uh, were born back in the 90s. Uh, but the whole idea is that Intel, as an organization, as a really large business, faced a hell of a challenge uh, where making chips uh, was no longer uh, viable. They were making different types of chips and different things and different silicons. Uh, and they decided to focus almost exclusively on one kind of a product. Uh, and to a certain extent, from a business standpoint, how do you really change and pivot? And this is this is a thousand people, or thousands of people organization. Um, how do you pivot? How do you change? How do you communicate? How do you stick with your guns? Uh, I just thought, look, these two books, I, I read, I read the both of them probably on a yearly basis. Um, it's it's just a really good, really really good refresher.
0: Laurie, is there a book that you're rereading um, that, or a book that you love from the tech side or the business side? Uh,
2: more like on the business side, a book that I've read a couple of times uh, already is uh, The Coaching Habit, uh, Say Less, Ask More, and Change the Way You Lead Forever by Michael Buggy Stanier. I can't pronounce his name properly. Sorry, Michael. Um, and it's just really fascinating because it's all about asking like I think coaching habit, I think the name you're misleading is misleading. It's like it's not about coaching at all, or like or more like coaching yourself in asking the right type of question, so that you are not leading into the answer that you want to hear. So I think it's very interesting when I work with my team, you know, to ask like the question. Like you have like um just a series. It's like four questions really that you have to go through and just like seeing like what it unlocks for possibilities and that's also a model that we use for our customer interview so like when, you know, um, for example, like a long-time customer at our get on a Zoom call with them and um, just kind of going through the question and like one of the big haha moments, and it's so simple, I'm going to give it here, is you ask the first question, people will answer and they will answer genuinely, but they're kind of put on the spot. So they kind of, and they want to, it's the human nature, like they want to please you. So they kind of also answer with something that you they probably think you want to hear as well. And then you just follow up with that other question, and what else? And whatever the answer in that what else question is pure gold. Because first they had time themselves, their brain in the back, you know, like the back was like thinking about what they really wanted to talk about. You demonstrate that you're here to listen and hear, um, listen what they have to say. And just like we discovered so many like gold nuggets that we then implemented in our channely. Uh, you know, like what are the very pain points, like the deeper pain points, like things that we can really, really like help wineries with. So, the one ask question. Obviously, the book is like uh, a few hundred pages, so it's it's more than that. But like, I love the simplicity of it and really trying um, to apply it um, in in everyday life um, beyond even like business. Highly recommend.
0: And and is that as a as a leader, is that you know the ability to listen? Is that something that you you had at the start or is that something that you've been working on or is that
2: i've been i've been working on that um i think uh, i think really fast i speak really fast i eat really fast hopefully i don't drink really fast like it's just like a like, um, and i think it's just not fair to my team to uh, you know not you know understand where i'm coming from it's also I'm very aware that I don't have all the answers either. So like being able to pull out the best uh, from the people I work with um, and the people I work for. Um, I think we, we hear often, right? Like in the world of startup and entrepreneurship, it's just like founder, build the product, don't talk to anyone. And then they're surprised that nobody likes it. So that's also a fine, like a way to keep me in check uh, with what it is we're trying to solve. And with, again, what I love is like how very human it is. Like, you know, even Sometimes with my, you know, with my family, it's just like, and what else, you know, like, just like giving this opportunity for people to speak up. Um, just, yeah, it's honestly fascinating. It's, uh, yeah.
0: <laughs> Jonathan, uh, to you, uh, do you have a book for us? Um, I have a book that I read,
3: um, earlier in So my, my previous life, I, uh, worked for a large international consulting company. And in those days, um, things really worked like the old um, this old uh, waterfall waterfall uh, principle or waterfall methodology. When you would build things, where you were, Sorry, expect- right, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> where you would you would lay out a massive plan, do a complete design, and then you were expected to, to execute a project that was going to take you nine to eighteen months, and expect to know all the answers. Um, up front, and um i was involved in a project that um i was quite junior but i, I saw this project go um uh, go quite uh, uh, sideways um and then uh the program came back together and for the next phase um one of the clients said we're gonna do it this way we're gonna do agile and we're like well what's agile and um and one of the first books that he, he gave me to read was this, this book, um, was uh, the Mythical Man Month. And basically the, the crux of a Mythical Man Month is that um, adding people or adding manpower to a late project only makes it later. Um, and that you, you can't just sort of rush to the finish or just do something magic to get to the finish and you have to be a bit more agile about it um and half and um that kind of put my career on a different trajectory and then i i started becoming a believer in agile and scrum and became an evangelist for for this region in my company and brought it into a couple other organizations after that because it just made so much more sense that Instead of working towards, you know, what they used to call these death marches, where it's like you get the closer you get to the end of the project, the longer your days, the less weekends you have free. And it's just, you know, you're just marching to the finish um, that you do it in smaller increments, and then you end up with a product that actually meets meets the requirements because you took a small bite, looked at it, adjusted it a little bit further went a little bit further so you're building it iteratively and I think nowadays there's not a there's not really any company or any tech company uh, who's who's successful who's not doing it that way Um, what about
0: wine wine companies and does anybody know any wine companies sort of trying to operate in this way producers I I think I think we're all we're
1: all trying to get wineries to to somehow look at life a business life that way right uh, look, the, the challenge is that traditionally um, wine is a much longer kind of a cycle uh, and there is a artistic, there is a craft, there is a, a, a natural kind of an influence onto the product that we probably don't have as much in the world of tech. Uh, so the question is, to a certain extent, as a product, maker if you're a winemaker or if you're a tech person writing code to actually publish a product what's the balance between having a vision to execute and actually build something that you just you just need to know that it's going to work or not work it's your idea versus the other way around kind of build something for the crowd and that's where I think the wine industry could benefit a whole lot of data-driven, let's build something for the crowd. Let's try and understand what's the new consumer drinking. But at the same time, the product, holy crap, right? It's not an easy uh, predicament to decide to build a winery. You're going to buy, buy a piece of land. You're going to plant some vines. Five years later, you're going to get some grapes, and then you're going to build a building on top of it. And then if you're lucky, five, six, seven years later, you have a product to sell. I mean, it's not easy to be agile in that context, right? It's really not that straightforward. Uh, but I think it's a balance. I think every business needs a level of a balance. Tech is far more capable of learning really quickly and deploying really quickly. We build a line of code and we deploy it the next week as opposed to wine, which takes a whole lot longer. So it's much harder, but we need to try and help the balance tilt a little bit for sure.
0: Yeah.
3: I, think, I think the other way that like the wine industry is, can be agile is also looking outside of, outside of wine. And, what I, and I'll go back to Bill Williamson, because this is kind of what happened to him, is that he had his wine club. It was going along. And then um, in one month, uh, he did. He was like, oh, let's just throw cheese into the into the into the boxes. And then the next next time the shipments were going out, people were like, Bill, where's the cheese? And so then he opened up a cheese club on top of his wine club. And then uh, he was doing these tastes, doing the pairings in his tasting room. And people eventually wanted to have what he was, exactly what he was pairing um, with in his tasting room. And um, then he started a spice club and a um, a toppings uh, club. So jars, so exactly what he was serving in the tasting room, he started selling to home. And I don't know if he ever said how much he was making from his non-wine part of the business, but I can't imagine it was an insignificant amount because you would go in there and you might not be having a bottle of his wine every day, but you might be putting, you know, your his spread on your on your toast for morning breakfast or on your sandwiches or whatever. And um, and David, you were you were there with me. It's, it was just it was yeah. really, really effective. And it was it was based on wine. It was, it was his yeah. bottom. His core business was wine. But he was able to iterate on these without waiting for the next vintage. He just found a partner oh, yeah. and rolled it out, and that was, I think, really, yeah, an interesting way of growing a wine
0: wine. Well, well serving wine with with a, a a little bit of food is probably sacrilege for a lot of winemakers, you know, because you're influencing the the taste. But for for the average consumer, it's it makes the wine taste better. So you know the so it was really interesting. So it just it just created you know he's just there to sell. So I mean he has one focus. He's he's there in a slice of the 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 process and yeah it was very and ultimately
1: look Laurie Laurie mentioned um, the the finances of building a winery right Uh, and if you happen to have a, a a bucket load of cash and you just wanna build a bit of a lifestyle kind of business, make wine for you and your mates just to get smashed on the weekends, fine, do whatever you want. But if you're not in that predicament, you really need to understand that the consumer, if the consumer wants to eat something with the wine, I mean, just get over yourself, right? Um, And and look, it's fascinating because we have a number of wineries using trolley who also do uh, olive oil uh, we we'll also do, uh, so cheese, we also have one doing cheeses. And I, and we also have wine clubs running on a one, two, three bottles per month. And we have wine clubs running on a 12 bottles a year or six bottles a year even. And you can just see how it's, it's, it's not only a different offering and a different way of running your club as a business, but it's also a different offering to consumers right some consumers just want to get a small order on a regular basis other consumers want to get food with it some consumers are really interested in what you're making as a producer so if you happen to make olive oil as well they're going to take it and I think the way of reaching consumers the way of, of crafting a product to offer to consumer is where a there's a lot to be said
0: let's put it this way well, thank you everybody for listening to episode 15 of the wine tech insiders podcast. Um, the books that, uh, we love, um, I'd like to thank again, our insiders, Lori from outshinery, Nick from wine owners, Seb from trolley and Jonathan from bottle books. See you on in a few weeks.
2: See you later guys.